I appreciate you inviting me into your family, into your community. And I appreciate the privilege to stand up here. I may have said it before, but I'll say it again. It's not something I approach lightly. It's not something I approach cavalierly or something I take for granted. In fact, I stand up here trembling. And not because I'm worried about being in front of people. I tremble because of the weight and magnitude of what I handle. This is the word of God. And we have come into the presence of the living God. And we ought to think on those things. Just as Matthew Henry said for the Lord's Supper, we must examine ourselves. That's something we ought to do in everything with our walk in the Lord. We need to examine every motivation, every motive as to why we do what we do. Our text today is coming out of Daniel chapter 4. And we'll be reading verses 34 through 37. Let us open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for who you are and that you know who I am. And yet I can still come before you because most often my prayer ought to be, oh Lord, how dare I approach you, holy God, awesome God, mighty God, and here I, being a wretched man, and yet you invite me to do so. In fact, you approach me. How wondrous. How incredible. How lovely you are. I pray your anointing upon this service, Lord, upon this preaching, upon the hearing, upon the receiving, and upon the responding, Lord for your glory, that you might be exalted and magnified in our sight and that our hearts might be pierced, that we would be more conformed to the image of your beautiful son and that we might be more in line to your will as we walk down the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Daniel chapter 4 beginning at verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what hast thou done? 
At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. I don't know about you, but I find that to be an amazing passage. This from the king of what was probably the greatest pagan empire the world had ever known. In fact, God had given him a dream, and that dream said he was the head of gold upon a great statue. And here we read Nebuchadnezzar extolling the creator God, the God of Israel, in his attributes. And that's what I want us to recognize today. That he is extolling God. He is describing to us attributes attributed to our God. And they cannot be taken away from him. Let's look at it for a minute. God is eminent. Right? Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven. God is transcendent. I blessed the most high. God is holy. And I praised and honored him. Do you see these things? Are you understanding what I'm saying here? God is, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, God is eternal because it is him who lives forever. Scripture isn't imparted to us for no reason. Everything in this Bible is given to us so that we might grow in understanding of who God is. And here, a pagan king, a rather wicked pagan king, is telling us who God is. And he's doing it accurately. He says God is omnipotent because his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His rule is everlasting. He says God is immutable, meaning he doesn't change. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Did you get that when we read the passage? Did you get these attributes that God is eminent, transcendent, holy, eternal, omnipotent, and immutable? That's the God we serve. That's who we have come here today to worship that should affect the way we walk. That should affect the way we believe what we read in the Bible. You know, I have confidence in my employers at work at times. I, had con- I have confidence in the fire department, right? I, I have every expectation that if I have a fire, they're going to come put it out. I have confidence in the police department that, you know, every expectation, if I have to call the police, they're going to come and rescue me. And so I walk around in my daily life with that faith, right? We walk around, we get in our cars, and we drive across the city to come here. That's, we're, we're, we're exhibiting faith in the system working to keep us from wicked people. 
We exhibit a faith that everybody on the highway is going to drive appropriately and not run us off the road. We exhibit a great deal of faith in these things, in the strength of man. How much do we exhibit faith in God? In him being eminent, transcendent, holy, eternal, omnipotent, immutable. I said it was an amazing statement by Nebuchadnezzar, but I want us to recognize it's an amazing statement because he saw the supreme truth of who God is. If we take what he said in its totality, he is saying God alone is sovereign. It is the king of the most powerful pagan empire in the world and he's saying God is above me all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him what hast thou done I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar had heard of Psalm 115.3, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's where we're at. As I was studying out this message and as I was praying that the Lord would develop it in my heart, one thing kept coming back to me is, you know what? If you have ever felt the call of God upon your life to In the offering of salvation, you need to take it. (laughs) You need to respond. Why? Because he may not do it again. It's according to his will. He does whatever he pleases. If he is calling you to salvation right now and you do not respond tomorrow, he may take it away. And you cannot respond at that point. Do we understand that? Do we understand that that applies to every blessing and gift and offering of God in our lives? Here's the thesis, I suppose I could call it, that I developed in this message. It does not matter how men respond. God is still God. That's the truth. Nebuchadnezzar throughout Daniel, we read of him doing evil things. God is still God. And now we read of him extolling God and offering him praise. God is still God. We are talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the conqueror of Judah, Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple of Yahweh, and yet here he is. Did you... Do you realize in the book of Jeremiah, multiple times, God calls Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Multiple times. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. What does that mean? Well, Nebuchadnezzar is only doing what God's allowing him to do. God is God. And all throughout we find, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, he went to Jerusalem and and took captive the people of Judah. He brought back Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. God is still God. That's what Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael had to come to realize, right? God is still God. Why? 
because God is sovereign. In Proverbs 21.1, we read, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wishes. The God of heaven is in control of all things. What does the term sovereignty mean? We hear it a lot, right? At least I do. I read it a lot. Sovereign, sovereign. The first thing that comes to my mind is royalty, right? Arthur Pink writes in his book, The Sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. What do we mean by this expression? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the Godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the most high, doing according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, so that none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Arthur Pink's quoting Daniel chapter 4. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth so that none can defeat his counsels, thwart his purpose, or resist his will. This is the God we serve. This is the God who called us. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor among the nations, setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, and determining the course of dynasties as pleases him best. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the only potentate, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. Such is the God of the Bible. End quote. Is that the God we serve? Why am I pushing that point? Because it affects how we act. It affects how we respond to what is written here. Do we walk in power? Do we walk valiantly? Do we walk with our heads up? Realizing that whatever comes our way, God is in control of it. God is going, Romans 8, God is going to work it for our good. Whatever it is. And better still, the way we respond to this, the way we receive God and position him, determines how the people around us see him. We're talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He went to Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. Didn't bother him at all. And yet here he is, extolling God, properly, I might add. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the people's nation and men of every language that live in all the earth. I mean, that's who we're talking about. May your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I mean, he's almost having a fit here, right? It's just pouring out of him. God is good. God is great. God is wonderful. Why? 
all the signs and wonders. How great are his signs and mighty are his wonders. What are these? Where did these come from? And I'm not trying to be simplistic here, but I really want to break it down and get us to think about this and reason this through. I believe we have relegated so many of these recountings in the Old Testament to story or to childhood things or whatever, or or they become so familiar to us we've forgotten the intensity and power therein. Everything in the Bible doesn't have to be a grand doctrinal statement to have force behind it. Certainly, a sign and wonder would be found right there in chapter 4, right? He had a dream that he was driven out among men to live as an animal for a set period of time and because of his prideful refusal to recognize the God of all creation, Yahweh, as the one true God, right? And it came true. So, obviously, that's a sign. Wow. God really humbled me. He really is God. He, he, he removed me as most powerful ruler in the most powerful empire in the world. And he put me out as among the animals. And then he brought me back and restored my mind. So that's a great sign. But what about casting three men into a furnace? heated so hot that the men who threw them in perished in the doing. And then Nebuchadnezzar sitting there looking in, and he goes, oh, didn't we throw three men in there? I see four, and the fourth looks as if the Son of God. That's a sign. But that would not have happened had not Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael recognized the sovereignty of God. That would not have happened had they not believed that the God they serve is omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful. And we say these things. We, we rehearse how the Bible tells us that all things are held together by his power. But when it comes down to the individual, personal level, do we believe it? Do we respond to things in our lives as if we believe it? Another instance, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he was so troubled by it that he was unable to sleep after having the dream. And I don't know for the period of time, but I imagine it was a great deal of time. Otherwise, he could have dismissed it. But he had a dream and he wanted to know the interpretation and he called all his counselors to himself, give me. And you know, he was Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't want to be messed with. He said, not only are you going to tell me the interpretation, but you first have to tell me the dream so I know you're legitimate. And obviously, they couldn't do it. They even told him, no king ever asked that. That's impossible. But then Daniel did. One of these captives from Judah was able to give him the interpretation, but not only did he give him the interpretation, rightly so, he told him what the dream was. How did he do that? Because he served the one who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. And I, oftentimes I feel so inferior 
Because here I am, this weak, beggarly, wretched man trying to describe (laughs) the indescribable. But I can only do it by this word. And that's why we have it. What about four young Hebrews who refuse to defile themselves? Oh, now we get down to the brass tacks. Because what are they doing? They're, they've, been, they've been taken away from their homeland and they're ushered into this alien place. And it could have been far worse. They could have been set down to the stables to shovel manure. But these were chosen They were select, and they were put into a place where they realized we're going to be the upper crust. What a temptation. And not only that, they were being brought in and say, look, we're going to educate you, we're going to dress you finely, and we're going to feed you well. You're going to eat the king's portion. And Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael said, no. We can't defile ourselves. What does that mean? It means that they understood an attribute of God is that he is holy. And they must be holy. But they also realized he's in charge. He's in control. He's sovereign. Our God can keep us no matter what the situation that arises. And sure enough, he did. They remained in that dietary restriction and they were healthier and wiser and more intelligent than the rest of the people again and again and again in the book of Daniel we read these recounts and we relegate them to children's stories when in actuality these were giants Here they are. They're in, they've been taken into the mightiest kingdom in the world. Now you remember the story where the where the Israel was coming up against Jericho, right? And the spies had went in, and they were told, "When we heard you were coming our way, our hearts melted because of all their exploits had been they've been announced to the world." Well you can be guaranteed that everybody knew what happened when you were carried off to Babylon. And yet here we're told these young men stood firm in their faith again and again and again. I imagine these are just really clean recountings. Can you think of some of the things that would have happened in Babylon? Some of the things they would have witnessed, the people that the, God, that the king who felt himself to be a god was offended at, how he would treat them, how he would respond to that. I'm sure they saw it over and over. And I'm sure these aren't the only instances that Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael had to endure. But these are just a few given to us so that we might realize we serve a God who's imminent, transcendent, holy, omnipotent, immutable, and sovereign. So that we might respond. I keep saying Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael on purpose. Because everybody calls them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think they would call Daniel Belshazzar if it wasn't so hard to pronounce. But I refuse 
Why? Because of the very reason they were given those names. They were given those names to try to pervert them and change them and cause them to quit looking to the God they serve, which is exactly what the world wants to do to us today. We are virtuous, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control. That's our titles, and yet they want to give us titles as of bigots and haters and on and on and on to change the way we think. Daniel, every time someone said Daniel, they knew the language. I was, I was told by a Hebrew instructor, if you learned biblical Hebrew, then you could easily learn the languages around because they were all related. They're all Semitic. Daniel, my God is judge. Or God is my judge. Wow. Think about that every time you thought of your name. God is my judge. How about Hananiah? Hananiah. Yahweh and Daniel Dan L. So Hananiah, God, Yah is gracious. <laughs> wow. We serve a gracious God, don't we? How about Mishael, who is equal to God? Every time they stood before Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Bow to the idol, Mishael only had to say his name. Mishael, who is equal to God? Or Azariah, Azariah, God is my helper. God has helped. Oh, that we would remind ourselves who we serve. No matter what, how man responds, God is still God. Are you with me? See, Daniel and his friends understood who they served. They recognized and knew God as imminent. These words that I've been throwing out to you, what do they mean? Eminence describes God as being involved in every facet of our lives. He is not somewhere far off, but rather he is right here. He hears and responds to our prayers and petitions. That's the God we serve. He is imminent. In Deuteronomy 4, 7, we read, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as it is, as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Our God is imminent. He's right here. Our God is transcendent. God is altogether other from creation. He is beyond our comprehension. Our understanding of who he is comes from what he has revealed in his word. They recognize that God is above all. He alone is to be worshipped and obeyed above everyone else. Above all men, all kings, all presidents, all governments. Isaiah 66, 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. When there, where then is a house you could build for me and where is a place that I may rest? He's above all. They understood that God is holy. He's perfectly pure and totally incorruptible and no defilement enters his presence. In Leviticus 19.2, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
They recognize that God is omnipotent for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. God is all-powerful. God is able to deliver them from any and all danger, and he cannot fail. This is our God. Genesis 18:14 is anything too difficult for the Lord at the appointed time I will come will return to you at this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. God himself says, is there anything I cannot do? And time and time again in the word of God he proves it and ultimately if we're honest and attentive time and time again he proves it in our lives. You know, when I was a young Christian, I used to think, I want to see those miracles. I want to see the, the blind given sight and the deaf hear and the dumb speak and the dead raised. And then I realized I've already seen it. I look in the mirror. I was blind. Now I see. I was deaf, but he gave me ears to hear. I couldn't speak, but now I can speak. And I was dead, and he raised me to life. He's a mighty God. They understood that God is immutable. He's unchanging. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. And Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were citizens of that kingdom. In Psalm 102, listen to this. Of old thou didst found the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Even they will perish. Even the heavens and the earth will perish. But thou dost endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. Thou will change them, and they will be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. The children of thy servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before thee. That's who we serve. Heaven and earth will pass away, but you, O Lord, will remain. I'm quickly coming to a close. And above all, they knew and recognized God as being sovereign. He continued faithfully. They continued faithfully serving him in the midst of all the chaos and adversity of being taken captive. And this is why Nebuchadnezzar makes the declaration he makes. These are the signs and wonders. Yes, the Lord approached him personally in instances, but it's those that were around him, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, that lived a life believing what the Bible says. That's significant. Because that tells me then, if I live that way, the people around me can change. I've written here in my notes, oh, that we would realize that God is in not some far distant place, unconcerned with the goings on of his people. No, he is ever present right here, right now. And maybe our prayers should not be so often, save me from such and such, but rather cause me to know your will in this God because I know you're right here and aware. I don't have to pray, Lord, deliver me. I know he's going to deliver me. I need to pray, Lord, give me that which I need to walk in the middle of your will. To affect your will. 
Do you understand or do we understand these things? See, we serve the Creator, God, in all capital letters. We serve the Creator. He called forth everything into existence from nothing. He is exalted above everything and there are no other gods. We look around. I was just, I walked to service this morning. Beautiful day. Wonderful. Refreshing. And I was walking. As I was walking, I was thinking, man, some people probably think I'm a Latter-day Saint or something. <laughs> One guy was walking his dog and he, he glanced at me from a distance and he... <laughs> And I thought, man, how wrong they are, but how persistent they are. They are convinced that they have the truth, and then they go forth. And here we serve the true living God. Are we as persistent? Are we as persistent as the three Hebrew children facing the seven times hotter furnace saying our God can deliver us but if he doesn't we are not careful to answer you in this. We will not bow. I know I'm getting a little excited but I'm talking about the Almighty. I wrote here in my notes, oh, that my life would witness a desire and choice to be holy because he is holy. Sadly, my wicked heart demands the question, how little purity can I get away with? Come on. While all the time my spirit continually desires a sanctified life, how great would our witness be if holiness were our goal in everything? I'm not talking about self-righteousness or some twisted holier-than-thou attitude, but true moral virtue only to honor our holy God. If only I could believe this word that I serve and am kept by the Almighty with whom there is no equal. I wonder if I could firmly grasp this concept if my prayer would cease being, God, bring me ten families. But rather, God, bring me everyone in Oak Ridge who would be saved. Because he's able, right? We're told that. Our prayer should not be bring us ten families. Our prayer should bring us everybody who will be saved in Oak Ridge. Because you're able to do it. How much joy would he gather from that? How much pleasure would that give our God? Oh, that I would live my life responding to its challenges, believing what Moses sang in Exodus 15, who is like thee among the gods, O Lord, who is like thee majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. Thou didst stretch out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. In thy loving kindness thou hast led the people whom thou hast redeemed. In thy strength thou hast guided them to thy holy habitation. Don't we know if we will follow him he is going to bring us to the end aren't we told time and time and time again to him who overcomes he will be what he's going to give us all things 
Oh, that I would truly see God as David saw him in 1 Chronicles. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. If all of this would be my life, would I have any Nebuchadnezzars around me? Wicked, vile, lost suddenly begin to praise and extol God. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just. Let us pray. Father, who is like unto thee? God, I pray that this word would go forth and and find good ground in our hearts and be rooted there and grow and increase our faith, Lord, increase our strength, increase our love for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.